Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself. Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear mind, why do you always try to convince me I'm sick? Welcome back to Mindfully Healing. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi. And today we're interviewing the lovely Nadia Desi about health anxiety. Yes. So Nadia, you have been very open um, on social media and we've talked about this before, uh, your health anxiety. So what is that like for you? What does it feel like? Constantly convincing myself that I am sick and potentially going to die for me, like you mentioned in the last episode, I fear illness more than I fear death. So it's constantly thinking that I'm going to be sick, like very, very sick Mm -hmm. after like every little thing. Or sometimes I won't even have a symptom, like a physical symptom that'll try to convince me or that'll preoccupy my mind. Sometimes I'll just be sitting there and be like, oh, maybe I have that. Mm-hmm. Like if I see something on TV that comes up about cancer, diabetes, oh, diabetes is like number one thing. I always convince myself that I have diabetes, but if it's some a commercial and they're showing like symptoms or something, I'll be like, oh yeah, I think like in 2009, I had that symptom. Maybe I'm dying and I have it. When was the first time you experienced or realized that you were dealing with this? I can't pinpoint an exact time, but I would say at least since elementary school, like I've always been very fearful and an anxious person. I don't know exactly when high school for sure. Yeah, maybe like anywhere between the ages of 12 to 14, it probably started. And you don't like even remember like what may have triggered it. It just like all of a sudden you you found yourself worrying about these things one day. Yeah. So I remember in 10th grade, I got... um I don't know if this is too much information, but I got like a urinary tract infection. And ever since then, I th- I think it's when it's gotten worse just because the symptoms of that are very scary. And that's where my fear of diabetes comes in because it's always linked to kidneys. And I get urinary tract infections very often as a lot of cis women do. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably where it started in grade 10. I remember around exams, my lower back was killing. I was peeing blood. I had no idea what was going on, and it was very frightening. Did you did you tell anyone about that, or did you wait because you were so afraid when you saw, like, you peeing blood? Yeah, I waited a couple of days, and I'm like, okay, I got to tell my mom. <laughs> so then I told my mom we went to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, like, with UTIs, like, I've had them. They're, they're so painful. So for you to wait three days to tell someone, it's like, holy shit, like, you must have been the pain. The pain, and yeah, and ever pain. since then, it was like – Oh, if I peed too much, okay, I have a UTI. Got to call the doctor. Got to go to the doctor. Convincing myself. And then you read online, like if an UTI goes untreated for so too long, it can be really dangerous. So then I would spiral that way. But it's, it's no way just that. Like I 
will get a cut on my finger and it'll somehow end up that I am dying of cancer or that I'm going to get sick of like with cancer or I will hurt my leg or have a sore leg. And immediately it's like worst case scenario. I was in Orlando um, a couple weeks ago and I bit the side of my cheek, but didn't remember biting the side of my cheek. And I had like a little piece of skin at the side. And I remember my friend was driving from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale and I was feeling it with my tongue. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? How did this happen? Panicking, Googling, looking up YouTube videos, going on Reddit because I convinced myself that it was mouth cancer. Oh my goodness. And that is current. (laughs) That is right now. Like still, I'll be checking my mouth to make sure that it's not there or it hasn't grown or like something. And now that's that's the thing about health anxiety that is so intense because it's not like, Oh, I could, cause I'm sure we all have like this. Oh, I could get sick, blah, blah, blah. Right. But this is like, you go into from, I think I could to, I am. Yeah, exactly. This and is ha- similar to what we just talked about with you. Um, if you want to refer back to Micheline's episode in terms of her health anxiety, she talks about how she goes to a point where now she's like thinking of life without anyone. Whereas I'm thinking of life being sick. So usually what will happen will be like, So I'll convince myself I have cancer. Usually for me, it's mouth. I convince myself that I have mouth cancer or skin cancer if I see like a new beauty mark or something. Because you obviously, if you're watching the video, you can see, but I have beauty marks everywhere. So if I find a new one or one that I never noticed, immediately going to skin cancer and I'm paying close attention to it. But it gets to the point of like, okay, Googling it. This is skin cancer. Got to make a doctor's appointment. I know I'm going to go to the doctor's appointment and get the information that it's going to be skin cancer. So how are we going to deal with that? Okay. So when that happens, how are we going to tell the family? Okay. Once we tell the family, then what are we going to leave our job? You're literally planning out your whole life with this diagnosis, even though it's probably not there. And and that's like, it, it, like you mentioned in my episode, that sounds like it may take like an hour or two, but that's probably again, all happening within like a few minutes. L- like it's so f- mind-blowing how fast your brain can get to that conclusion and think about a hundred other things in the span of two minutes what are the physical sensations that you start to experience so immediately that feeling in your stomach like something's wrong shaking for sure sweating um sweating but like the anxiety sweat that smells really bad that happens to me all the time heating up getting really really hot needing to tie my hair Um, can't have anything like on me or near me I start to freak out and yeah usually I'll need to distract myself or my mind immediately goes to like check whatever it is a hundred times go on google and then find a way to sneak it into a conversation while talking to somebody to get their reassurance to make sure that I'm not dying does the sweats and all of the physical sensations that come along with the symptoms of just thinking of the beauty mark then cause another level of and layer of anxiety for you oh yeah because I get really anxious and I bite. I bite the inside of my cheek. (laughs) So now I'm biting the inside of my cheek and I'm getting marks and now I have mouth cancer. I have skin cancer and mouth cancer. So it definitely spirals. They're definitely based on each other. My anxiety symptoms, I'm usually able to identify because they're so prominent. Like I know that stress smell. I know that's just anxiety or I know that feeling in my stomach. I know that's anxiety. Those are easy for me to identify but I think when it's first started and I wasn't in this level where I am now with the knowledge of mental health then yeah they would definitely feed off each other and make me feel worse how did you cope before you obviously you weren't a therapist in like 10th grade so like how did you cope initially I don't want to say the wrong ways but I would cope with um 
what we kind of call compulsions. I like to compare it almost to OCD, whereas you have an intrusive thought and then you do a compulsion to make yourself feel better. So I would, like I said, talk to somebody, make doctor's appointments. Oh my gosh, especially during COVID, the amount of times that I called my doctor and she'd be like, okay, yep, we'll do that for you. Or like, you know, like it's, I would cope by getting that reassurance I needed to make myself feel better without realizing that it was actually just enabling and making things 10 times worse. What would you call the doctor about then during COVID time? Like it's like random stuff that you would- UTIs. Hmm. Always UTIs. Yeah. All, all the time. One time I, um, I had a doctor's appointment for UTI. I knew what it was. I went into a walk-in clinic. I didn't go to my actual doctor and she called back to, to bring me back in but it was on a Saturday, it was on a Friday night and I had plans that weekend and she spoke to my mom. I don't, maybe I was under 18 at this time, probably if she spoke to my mom, um, she told my mom about it. And my mom didn't tell me until Monday. She's like, I knew that you would be losing your mind all weekend. And she wasn't open until Monday anyway. So it would not be productive to tell you. So she called you back in. And then once again, don't know if this is too, too like too much information, but it was because they found blood but it was because I was on my period. Um, so it didn't end up being anything, but it, like going into that appointment, I had to make my sister come with me. I couldn't go by myself. And I was like this, like she came in the room with me and I think I was 18, maybe 17. And I didn't want to go in alone. Yeah. But my mom, like my mom knew, I can't tell you this. Good. <laughs> go mom. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't even imagine going a weekend without the doctors. Oh, I would have went to the hospital. Yeah, for sure. I've for been sure. to the hospital multiple times too. Have you been in the hospital because, uh, because of like the scares, not because you were having like a physical reaction to something? Probably. Yeah. Like walk-in clinics. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been to the walk-in clinic for like a little cough. Okay. Like I'll go for almost not anymore in the past. This was way worse in the past. Now my biggest thing is like diabetes and my kidneys and UTI. So that, that I'm still guilty of. But do you get like that for your family? Like if, if your family has like a symptom of some sort, do you also kind of panic for them or is it only having to do with your own physical health? I'll panic maybe for a, like a little bit, but not really. Like if my mom's sick, I'll be like, oh, okay, like she's sick. I'm able to have more logic when it comes to that. But when it's myself, it's worst case scenario. Being sick and like being chronically ill is, is a fear. What do you think is like the underlying, like the core fear there? There's so many, like missing out on life, not maintaining relationships with loved ones, letting people down. I think it's a variety of fears and also living through a really difficult, severe illness of like, how am I even going to get through that? It's going to be way too hard. I'm going to be in pain. I can't do that to myself. I can't do that to my family. I think that is generally the fear. And sometimes I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's more of the fear of what is it than actually it being the worst possible thing. I don't know how to articulate that correctly, but sometimes like it can be something kind of bad, not too bad, but as soon as I get the answer for it, I feel better. Yeah. So it can be something that's not the greatest. Before finding out it's a UTI, it's like the panic mode there. It's the panic. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess this would be more of an example for my mom, which it was a little bit of panic, but I was really on the positive side there. She like had a breast exam and they found something and it was more of the anxiety waiting to find out what it is. Because when we found out it was breast cancer, it was 
obviously the worst thing ever to find out, but it was like, now what, how do we get this into action? But that waiting period is so hard. And with health anxiety, one of the biggest tips in therapy is exposing yourself. And one of those exposures is to wait it out. And that is one of the hardest things. So if I'll, ha I'll have a cough, going to the doctor and getting that reassurance and finding out it's a cough, even if it's a cough that the doctor tells me is going to last two years, it's fine. I know what it is. But if I don't know what it is and I don't go to the doctor that like 10 minutes or no, those 10 days, whatever it is, whatever that time period is, is like the hardest thing. I can't concentrate on anything else. That's all I'm focused on. And it's like, just don't think about it, but it's impossible in that moment. Have you ever gotten like unnecessary medical exams, like MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds, things like that because of your health anxiety? Yeah. And I'll even, uh, I've got an extra PAPS because of my fear with UTIs for sure. I think you're supposed to get them every like three years. I try to fight to get them more than that. Um, never MRIs or anything, but if my doctor is doing a physical, I'll ask her to check again. And, and like, especially in my breast area, if she's doing the physical and like, we'll do it, I'll be like, yeah, but can you check more on the side here? And I'm probably so annoying, like trying to tell her what to do, but it's just like that reassurance. Yeah, and yeah, that's the thing. doctor that's no that knows you're diagnosed with health anxiety or this. No, okay. She knows. She knows. Yeah. What? So I'm curious. Does she know not to follow through with your demands for that? Or yeah. Does she she's she's good with it. Like she won't do too much. I remember I was panicking once because I was losing hair, mm. and I was just freaking out. What's going on? What is it? And she was just like you have a lot of hair, you're probably low on a little, like just very casual, nothing. Whereas I have clients whose doctors will call them purposely or who will set up appointments on purpose to like give them that reassurance. And it is really helpful when you're someone on the other side, but in the long run, that is not the best way. How has this impacted your relationships? So in my relationship, he knows that I'm always catastrophizing and I'm always assuming like worst possible thing. He also knows now not to give me the reassurance. So in the past, if I had that thing in my mouth, I would show him inside my cheek and I would get the flashlight from my phone and be like, what do you see? Take a picture. Can I see it? Um, my sister, she's an eye doctor, but she's like very, very, very educated. So she was somebody else that I would get constant reassurance from. Um, in terms of anything that was going on. So now people know not to. I think it can get annoying, especially when I'm on vacation um, with my fiance, with my family. I will not go on vacation unless I know there is a hospital close by. And I know that is coming from a place of privilege, absolutely, but it is um, my health anxiety stopping me. I'm too scared. And it, it is getting, this is the area that is probably getting worse as I'm getting older. I need to know the distance from the hotel to the hospital. And when I'm in the area as I'm driving, I need to drive by the hospital so I know where it is, or I need to get the taxi to drive by the hospital to know the distance. So this is a little bit extreme. But I've, and, uh, I've been in hospitals in different areas before in Italy and the States. And like, I think that's where it comes from. I mean, I can validate not my health anxiety, but, you know, given my husband's, like going to places you want to know medical care um, is good there. But at the same time, it's also feeding this like yeah. anxiety within you. And I'm sure your fiance probably says something about this. Like, does he try to convince you to be like, no, we're okay. Like, let's like here and there. Yeah. But I think now he just knows this is too much of a big one for me to like jump right into because it's a foreign country maybe, or like it's a long period of time being away. So it's something that I'm working up to, but definitely 
in the far future because I can't picture myself now. Even when I go on vacation, I bring this big box, like this big, not a box, but like a makeup bag with every medication possible. Like nasal spray, Advil, antibiotics. If I have strep throat, which I get very, very often, knock on wood, I will leave like one or two pills just in case I go on vacation and get it. UTI medication, I'll ask my doctor sometimes like, hey, can I just have it just in case, which she doesn't usually say yes, but um, every, everything, laxatives, things for my stomach, just I need, a, I need to know it's there in case yeah. I need it. As you mentioned, like leaving some antibiotics just in case for next time. And you, we've all heard like you got to finish all your antibiotics to not make the, the, the bacteria stronger. Does that not go through your mind? Or it's like, I feel better. So it's fine. It's not necessarily what could happen. It's the feeling that I'm having. Yeah. It's like the out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what's the mileage of like, I need to be this far from a hospital? Oh, it can't be more than like half an hour. Okay. Oh, time-wise. Okay. Time-wise. So like, oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't yeah. know miles. <laughs> okay. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're in Canada. Kilometers. So yeah. but, okay. So I think the time makes more sense because you could technically be super close to a hospital, but then traffic is crazy and yeah. you can't go. So we went to Italy for my um, fiance's friend's wedding and we drove to like, I don't know if it was its own town, but there was no hospital nearby. And I was, we only went for the day. We literally went to go see a restaurant and then we left. I was like hyperventilating internally because there was nothing around. And I knew to get to the hospital, if I needed to, it would have been like two, three hours away because we drove so far to get there. What are you doing to work on that? Now you said I'm not there yet, like earlier with the hospital. So like, where Uh, are you in this like step of, of healing? So right now I'm on the no checking or limiting the checking. So checking is like when you have that thing on your mouth, you're constantly like putting your tongue or putting your fingers to make sure it's there. Or like a lot of the time before my period, my boobs will hurt and I will constantly check them and feel them. Now I'm decreasing the checking. Maybe it was going from like 20 times a day to five to zero. So that's the first step. Obviously, while I'm doing that, I'm trying to incorporate not Googling as much. The reassurance one is a little bit hard too. I've been working on that one. Um, But my first thing is like eliminating checking unless I absolutely have to. And just trusting myself and knowing like I am the expert of my own body. I know when something is truly wrong and when I actually need to call a doctor. It's just that self-talk through things. Okay, I have a question about that because I I work with some people who have health anxiety and this like fear of, okay, I'm not going to check. I'm not going to reassure myself. I'm not, I'm working on this, but what if this is the time that I should have? And that's the biggest fear. And that's like the biggest thing that crosses your mind. And that's why you give in to those compulsions, because what if this is the time I need to check to make sure that it's not my biggest thing is like, you will know. And okay, 10 out of 10 times, that is not the case. Sometimes symptoms are hidden. Sometimes you don't know, but just working towards understanding that you are the expert of yourself. And if something is seriously wrong, you you still have the ability to go talk to somebody if you absolutely need to. And if it is like tearing you down and you can't do it, then just go get that reassurance. It's okay, but work as slowly as you can. The what if is always there. And that's with any anxiety. What if this is the time something bad really happens? Or what if, you know, I do the public speaking and this is the time I really embarrass myself? So many different situations, but just the confidence. And so you mentioned trusting your body. How do you learn to trust your body? What does that look like? Paying attention. 
we talk a lot about like patterns. And for me, with the diabetes or the cancer or checking and figuring out what things are, I'm like, what do I feel? I know my symptoms of anxiety. We talked about this. I know the smell comes. I know I start to sweat. I know those are the physical symptoms that are coming after. So just like picking up on patterns of what happens to you based on certain things. I know it's easier said than done of like trusting your body and paying attention to your body. But I know the difference, Micheline, you know me, I always have a cough. I've had a cough for the past like six months. I know it's an anxiety cough. I know I only cough when I have anxiety. Like that is a physical thing. And I know that because when I was in Florida, I barely coughed with Micheline. And as soon as I got home, the cough came back. So just like learning about you more, trying to pay attention to things. When does this happen? Does this happen when I'm anxious? Does this happen when I see a commercial and something triggers me? Just trying your hardest to pay attention to certain things that happen to you. And it'll help you identify what is real and what is your anxiety trying to convince you that it's real so like really learning what your norm is like your baseline because our baselines are all different so if you know that you have a cough normally and it's been checked out then like accept that into your baseline yeah and then like past that is like a way that you can build that trust within your right also are these symptoms only coming up when you're thinking about them so do you only have an upset stomach when you remember that you have an upset stomach or do you still have that upset stomach while you're out for dinner with friends if these symptoms are only coming up in certain situations or when you remember them it's likely that it's connected to your anxiety and i know that there's like a lot of anxiety symptoms like you just mentioned the cough the sweat that smells a certain way that are very physical so it's very scary and especially when it comes down to panic attacks like the hyperventilation the you know intensity the migraines um so that mm. i can imagine this so do you get those do you get mm-hmm. those symptoms? I get panic attacks when I'm playing soccer. And for the longest time, I thought it was asthma. And the doctor was like, you do not have asthma. Stop coming here to ask me if you have asthma. Yeah, I would um, at soccer. I don't know what would happen, but it would feel like like spit or something would get stuck in my throat. And then I couldn't get a deep breath. And then I would have a panic attack. And so many times I would have to step off on the field and the poor linesman would be like, oh my God, what's happening? Are you okay? Thought I was having a heart attack, but it was really a panic attack. So that was really scary understanding the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And that all comes with exactly what you were saying with this, like uh, understanding your baseline, your own body and like moving. Exactly. Um, Did you make a hierarchy? So like with this, this is a lot of exposure therapy here, right? Like, and we talked about it in one of our episodes with, you know, triggers, but how, how, where did your hierarchy start? If you don't mind sharing, where do you hope to go? Just to give a rundown of what a hierarchy looks like and why we do it. It's working with a therapist or with yourself, if you feel safe and comfortable doing it, of creating a list of things that you want to start exposing yourself to in order to feel more comfortable doing these things. It's called co-habituation. So if you want to start you want to start really slow and your therapist will start like as little, little, little as possible that works for you and then working your way up to the biggest goal. So obviously with health anxiety, my biggest goal is to not feel anxious every time something's there. Or my biggest goal is to be able to travel somewhere without worrying about what their medical system is. So that would probably be near my top and the bottom would be smaller things like checking the inside of my mouth five times instead of 10 times a day or Googling two times instead of five times a day, just doing it really, really, really small. So initially I tried to stop Googling completely. That was impossible. That did not work. I would stop Google and then I would go on Bing. 
and then I would stop Bing and I would go on Reddit, like just finding sneaky ways to still do the same thing. That was too hard. So it was like, okay, let, let's go, cut it down to the checking. And even before that, like, let's cut it down to the reassurance of, you can get reassurance from two people, but stop telling a hundred people and sending pictures and trying to get their opinions. So, so starting really, really slow, um, but definitely the checking was the first one. And one that I still incorporate in my every day now, like when I feel anxious, if I go in the shower, if I brush my teeth, currently my mind goes to like, okay, put your tongue over your cheek to make sure something's not there. But I have to fight, not fight myself, but I have to self-talk through it of, you don't need to do that. Everything's fine. So yeah, what does your self-talk sound like? Self-talk is exactly kind of what I just said. Like, you know, your body, you know, where this came from. A struggle with health anxiety and OCD too is also mental review. And mental review is trying to get reassurance from yourself. So mental review in this situation would be, I was driving and I, no, I was in Florida and I bit my lip and I got the, I bit my cheek and I got the mark and that's where it came from. So it's fine. It can't be, it can't be something wrong. Like this is where, you know, and trying to find a way to get your reassurance by going through old memories and reviewing it in your head. So that's not helpful either. Instead, you kind of want to take like acceptance and commitment therapy approach where I am having the thought that this is happening. I acknowledge that this is there. doesn't mean there's truth to it and trying to let it pass. So that's been most helpful for me because mental review, just like any other reassurance seeking exp- uh, compulsion, it's, it's not helpful. When you're working with someone or with yourself, on these things, do you pick one or are you kind of doing them all at the same time? It depends where you are. If you're just starting out, then I would start with one if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, A lot of the time I'll be working with somebody who has health anxiety and they don't want to start at just one. They kind of want to eliminate or decrease checking all around just because they find that more helpful. So I think it depends. Depends Reducing checking in one area doesn't mean increasing it in another as a way to make yourself feel better. So that would be like, if I find my stomach hurts and I would constantly feel my stomach, stopping that. If my therapist said like, stop touching your stomach or only touch it one to two times a day, doesn't mean that I can check my check my cheek 10 times more because I stopped my stomach. And usually that's what tends to happen because we want to get that reassurance and we want to feel better in another area. You want to compensate yeah. for, for the law for the yeah control I guess like you want all to control one. exactly I think that's and a huge thing of health anxiety too feeling like it's one thing that we wouldn't have control of it comes out of nowhere and I'm somebody who likes control and a lot of my anxiety comes from lack of control in certain situations like public speaking if something were to go wrong that's out of my control I would get really nervous about it or social situations and with health anxiety this like is something that can completely blindside you that you have no control over and one important thing you mentioned that I want to like highlight is you the cold turkey stuff like where you're just like no you can't just like stop right away that you said that you have to reduce checking from like 10 times a day to like five times a day and that's okay so you know it's it's not about like elimination it's more about reduction arm reduction Um, yeah really 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 important yeah and it's a big misconception of you know working with health anxiety or OCD of my therapist is going to make me do these things that are so scary, but that's not going to happen. Your therapist is not going to push you to do anything that is out of your control. We want to help you. We want you to come back. We want to work with you. So we're going to do things at your own pace. So if somebody's like triggered with like cancer commercials, yeah. how would they go about uh, working through that? So what I would say is 
I'm sure their immediate reaction right now is to shut off those commercials as soon as they see them or sometimes even avoid TV. Like people will go to that step of, I can't even watch TV because I'm too scared of what's going to happen. So if that is the case, then watch TV for three minutes and then nothing happens. Okay, watch TV for five. A commercial comes on. Okay, you can shut it off. But the next time, let's watch it for four seconds. The next time, let's watch it for five. Notice your reaction after. So just like slowly, slowly based on what they can do. That's what I want to stress the most. Slowly is the key. Slowly, yeah. Slowly is the key. That brings me to the point of like the the friends and family around someone who has health anxiety. So most of my good friends and my family know, actually, one of my good friends is the exact same way as me. And we had to set the boundary of like, we can't talk about this with each other because we would feed, be feeding off each other like, oh, my God, I have di- diabetes. Or she would be sending me like she sent me something, a bruise or something that was on her foot. And she's like, what do you think this is? Do you think it's melanoma? Do you think it's skin cancer? And then I was Googling it and then it was spiraling into, oh, my God, I think I have it, too. So we had to set that boundary of we can't talk about this with each other anymore because we are not helping well that's a really good thing to have with a friend it's like you gotta (laughs) set the boundary it's so important yeah it was good for both of us but it's so hard like significant others like when I work with people with health anxiety there's you know the significant others that like if we were just talking about the commercials like if a commercial would go on I I've, I've seen it get to the point where the significant other changes the channel for different with health anxiety in order to avoid the trigger altogether yeah did you have that like or do you see that I didn't have that but you just reminded me I saw a TikTok of somebody who has contamination OCD and they are engaged and they said like my fiance is amazing every night before bed they know I have OCD so they'll take a really long shower before getting into the bed and make sure everything's clean and I'm like that's really nice and that person is trying to be as supportive as possible but we need more psychoeducation out there to let people know that that is actually hurting instead of helping the person. And I think what you mentioned is the same thing. If your partner's changing it for you without you asking. So if it's really, really hard and you, you can't even bring yourself to do it, you just look away and they take it off. Okay. But try to get them in the process with you. If you feel comfortable, try to let them know, Hey, this is what my therapist said, or Hey, this is what the podcast said. Reassurance seeking isn't helping me. So when this comes up, can you try to just give me like a straight face and not give me an answer or let me know this is your health anxiety or this is your OCD I think that would be most helpful but no that's never happened to me such good points it's telling people what you need based on what you know is helpful for this if you're wanting and ready to heal again every everything within your own time but like if you're ready to make that change and and heal then yes setting those boundaries with family members for yourself is important Because clearly these family members are willing and ready to help. They're already doing things that they think are helpful. So they'll be okay with knowing what actually is helpful. And and it's probably going to result in a couple bickers and fights here and there because you're going to tell them. You're going to be like, listen, don't change the channel unless I tell you to change the channel. Mm -hmm. So therefore they're not going to. And you're going to be like, why didn't you change the channel? And oh, yeah, (laughs) I can imagine that right now. So just be prepared. Or like, just give me the reassurance. I need to just do it this one time. You're going to hear that a lot. Yeah, and if you're a caregiver listening to this or not a caregiver, a family, friend, loved one of someone who struggles with health anxiety, ask them how, they may not bring it up. Maybe they're too scared to bring it up. But if they are open with you about it, like maybe ask them like, how can I help you with this? And you know, pick something small. I love that you said like baby steps and cutting down more than eliminating. Yeah. Um, because that makes it easier. 
um, for everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working, reevaluate, right? Like it's okay to reevaluate. You need to go smaller and that's fine. Once again, it's not a race. It's just for you. This might be a personal question. Like, did you go to therapy to, uh, heal this or like work on this or are you doing it self like on your own? No, this was one of the first things I did go to therapy for, but yeah, I went to therapy, talked to a therapist about it and it was really helpful. Obviously now I'm still working through it, not with the same therapist, but just, just labeling it for what it is of like, no, nothing's wrong with you. You just have health anxiety. You're not actually always sick or you're not actually like, you're not, I don't know, just, just having somebody understand you or feel like less alone because they've worked with people who have gone through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's helpful, right? Like listening yeah. and having a therapist that maybe specializes or has worked. It's like, oh, wait, other people deal with this. It's not just me. So, exactly. What do you think is like a, a tip or like a takeaway for people who might be listening or struggling with this type of anxiety? I have so many different suggestions to give. First thing is like always what we say on this podcast, don't be so hard on yourself. You are not the only one struggling through this. You care about yourself. You are, you know, nothing is wrong with you for having these thoughts and they are not easy. And I know they are not easy and I know they can be consuming into your whole life. And I know they could impact your day-to-day, your work, your relationships, your experiences, but it is not impossible to get through and it does get better and it does get easier. Um, number one thing is cutting down the compulsions. If you can, we, we know that therapy isn't always accessible. There are so many great resources online, um, but trying your hardest to expose yourself so you get more comfortable with these things and not giving into the compulsions. Those are amazing tips. And, and to answer the the question we asked at the beginning, dear mind, why do you always make me think I'm sick? If the mind was to respond, what do you, what do we think it would say? Because I'm trying to protect you. Yeah. That's what I, I all, always think that be, and because I'm trying to give you control in a situation that you think you have no control in. Your mind wants to live a happy, long, healthy life and it values connections and health so much that it's fearful of losing control, maybe. Right. Always going to a worst case of what can happen. Sure. So can we turn it compassionately looking at our minds and knowing what it needs? And then like, dear mind, thank you for putting me first and trying to maintain a life where I do have these connections and I do have this health. I'm very grateful, but I'm ready to make a change. Yeah. Even (laughs) if that change is slow and small. Well, thank you for being so open and vulnerable on this episode. Um, I know that like, you're just like, oh, is this TMI? No, it's not. Because all of us feel like all of this type of stuff. Sometimes right. That helps um, so many. So thank you for being open and sharing. And I hope you all got um, something out of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram at mindfullyhealing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time. Thank you.